Guys, it's wonderful to be with you tonight. My name is Jamie Mulvaney, and I'm an associate minister here at HTC, if we haven't met before. Um, great to see you. Please do come and introduce yourself uh, afterwards. It'd be great to meet you. Uh, tonight, we're going to be um, turning to the very end of our Bibles. So there's some Bibles at the end of our rows, and if you could please pass those along, that would be great. We're looking... Um, at Revelation chapter 3, which is on page 1,236. 1,236. Revelation chapter 3, beginning at the 14th verse. And I'm going to read it for us. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And that's Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of Jesus and we ask tonight that you would enable us to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to each one of us as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the past four weeks, we've been in this gospel series. And uh, we had week one, which was good news, that we're saved. Uh, Week two, good news, that we're liberated. Uh, Week three, good news that we're inspired. Uh, Week four, good news that we're empowered. And now week five, the bad news, that we're numbed to the gospel. Let me explain. After uh, Jesus was resurrected, after he went to heaven, um, he writes seven letters to seven different churches, revealed to John and written down in this book of uh, Revelation. Now in the Bible, uh, seven is the number of perfection. Uh, So although these letters were written to specific churches, they're also relevant to to every church that exists today. And in each of the letters, he has something to, to congratulate the church on, and something to complain about the church. In each one of the letters, except for this one. In this letter... There's only complaint. Right there at the beginning of the, uh, the passage, verse 14, it says, these are the words of the Amen. The Amen. Now Jesus has the final word. God speaks a word and that word is Jesus and there's nothing left to say. 
it says that Jesus is the faithful and true witness. And so Jesus is the one who has x-ray eyes, and he sees us perfectly. He sees God perfectly, and he speaks to us about God and to God about us. And then it says that he's the ruler of God's creation, that Jesus is the king, he's the lord of the universe. So, so Jesus, he's, he's at the center. But this Jesus, with his x-ray eyes, he sees the church in Laodicea, and he sees that he's not at the center of it. He says there um, in verse 17, I know your deeds. And this church, he said in verse 15, sorry, he says, I know your deeds. And this, this church that is active, and I'm, I'm sure uh, this church had, had a vision statement. They had a weekend away. They had services and events and a Lent discipleship school. But he sees that they are neither cold nor hot. Now, Laodicea, it didn't have its own water supply. So it got um, water from hot springs in the north and cold springs in the south. And by the time both of those uh, water sources had arrived in Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. And so Laodicea was used to lukewarm water. And the church in Laodicea has gotten used to being lukewarm too. They are not on fire for Jesus. In uh, their book called Blind Spots, The the Hidden Biases of Good People, Bernardi and Greenwald, they, they talk about five different types of lies that people tell. Now, it goes without saying that any form of, of lying is, is wrong and it's a sin. But I found this really interesting. They, they talk about different colors of lies. Uh, so, so first of all, there's white lies, which uh, you tell in order to spare someone's feelings or to sort of spare them um, from information they don't really need. So how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How do I look? You look great. They're white lies. And then there's, there's gray lies, which is where you're not sort of telling a massive falsehood. You're just saying something that's sort of slightly misleading. So you send a text saying, I'm on my way. Uh, you haven't quite left the house yet. You're about to be on your way. Or I'm so sorry I'm late. My, my train was delayed. Well, your, your train was delayed, uh, but you didn't reach the train that you meant to get, so you would have been late anyway. So they're they're grey lies. And then there's um, red lies, which are these apparently sort of instinctive lies around the the sort of survival of the fittest, the lies that we tell to sort of get on at work or or to win over a partner. They're red lies. And then there's there's blue lies, which I find really, really interesting. Um, These are where you say something that isn't true, in order to convey a truth that you think is actually more real about yourself. So uh, someone asks you, uh, what newspaper do you read? And you say, uh, 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 Financial Times. More often than not, you find yourself reading the Daily Mail. Um, But you don't want to sort of be known as a Daily Mail reader. That's not who I am. I'm the sort of person who reads the Financial Times. So you say the Financial Times. And then there's the fifth kind of lie. And they're called colorless lies, which are the the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies that we tell others that we don't even realize are lies ourselves. They're invisible to us. 
Dostoevsky, the, the 19th century Russian novelist. He wrote this. Every man has some reminiscences which he would not tell to everyone, but only to his friends. He has others which he would not reveal even to his friends, but only to himself, and that in secret. But finally, there are still others which a man is afraid even to tell himself. And every decent man has a considerable number of such things stored away in his mind. The, the biggest way that we lie to ourselves is revealed by Jesus in this letter. In verse 17, he says, You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is a church that is blind to its own spiritual state. So what is its spiritual state? Back to verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. When Jesus speaks to the church, he reserves his harshest criticism, not for sexual immorality and not for false teaching, but for self-sufficiency. In the year 60 AD, Laodicea and the surrounding uh, towns, they were, were hit by a, a massive earthquake that just totally flattened everything. And in the midst of this seismic shock, uh, Emperor Nero, he, he, he um, offered grants to all the cities that were flattened. Each and every one of them accepted the imperial grant. Each and every one of them apart from Laodicea. And you might think, well, that's crazy, isn't it? But we're hardwired in our culture to be independent. Have you ever noticed that it's sort of at those times when we most need help, we're, we're often revealed to be very stubborn? This is, an, in other words, it's pride. So we began by seeing that, that Jesus is at the center. But where is Jesus in relation to this church? Well, in verse 20, we see that he's out the door. He's not even in the building. And so you've got this shock of Jesus asking to be let into his own church. And so just as the church in Laodicea has gotten used to lukewarm water, it's gotten used to its environment. A city that's known for health and wealth and fashion. If only there was an example of another city in, say, 21st century Britain that was known as a health and wealth and fashion capital. Jesus may as well not be writing to the lukewarm in Laodicea, but the lukewarm in London. The danger is that we become a church that prides itself on being healthy, wealthy, and fashionable. That it is full of deeds and actions and activity, but is self-satisfied, tepid, lukewarm, and utterly useless to Jesus Christ. Being shaped by culture rather than shaping it. The comedian Jeremy Hardy, who died two weeks ago, he said this, I was raised in the Church of England. I can't say I'm lapsed. You can't really lapse if you're an Anglican. You don't lose your faith. You just can't remember where you left it. I don't hear very many people laughing. Because it's not so funny, is it? I love the Church of England. 
and I have this dream that one day our denomination, our church, would be known for not being sort of tepid, sort of warmish Christians, but for being the church that's on fire for Jesus Christ. But that begins with you and me. But some of you, you're, you know you're lukewarm. You know that you're not on fire. And my worry is, is that you will leave this building and you will do nothing about it. Being lukewarm is the goal. You've set up your life to be lukewarm. You've got just enough God for yourself. Just enough God to give you some sort of moral framework. You serve a little here and there. You know, you sort of don't have enough money. Quite like some more of that. Well, I've got enough Jesus. I've got enough God, thank you very much. And you're lukewarm and you're loving it. When Jesus said that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, I've looked very, very closely at the text and and I've looked at the original Greek and I've realized that when Jesus says it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, what he actually meant is that it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you and I live in London. I'm sorry that you and I live in the West. What a disadvantage. Lulled into thinking that we're okay on our own. I said at the beginning that Jesus only has complaint for this church. What I should have said is that Jesus has a gag reflex for this church. He says in in verse 16, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, doing his thing. And this is serious. We're not playing games. We don't sing, I once was blind, but now I'm blind. And we we sang before that amazing song, that revelation song, which is about the throne and and all those surrounding the throne and worshipping him and bowing down to God. And the flashes of lightning and the rolls of thunder. and, and, And we read about that in the very next chapter of this book. But in this chapter, in verse 21, Jesus says, I want you to sit with me on that throne. And so you're like, you've got that amazing vision there, that that amazing promise, that amazing future. And then you're like, well, I've got this sort of stuff here and this sort of planet Earth. I've got some belongings and some things. And I'm not really sure it's worth, I'm not really sure I want to give up that for that. And Jesus is saying, you're just like a, a cup of lukewarm coffee that I accidentally drank. And I want to spit out of my mouth. This is not the person who sold everything for the treasure in the field. It's nauseating to Jesus Christ. And then there's some of us who kid ourselves into thinking that we're on fire for him. We're overly familiar and familiarity it breeds contempt. And we're numb to the fact that our passage began with an angel. Just like, yeah, whatever. Our church has an angel too. Tell me something I don't know, Jamie. I read the Bible, I pray, I can rattle off all the facts. I know how this works. I know how to walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian. And your hands sort of raise as the muscle memory kicks in with the key change in the final chorus. 
And all the while, you've forgotten where you've left Jesus. And so we settle into our religious rituals when it was always meant to be about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith that is hollow and content to live off second-hand Christianity. Other people's stories, other people's adventures. And then there's sin. We so easily settle into sin, don't we? We've just sort of given up repenting of repetitive sin and settling for gray areas and mediocrity and minimum integrity. Since when was it the church's job to mirror and to reflect culture? Is this how we respond to grace? Or do we think that sort of doing a good deed for the day or for the week sort of counts for anything if we're not captivated by Jesus? You know, I visited an elderly person this week. Tick. Jesus says, I know your deeds. And then there's our relationships. And, and some of you are, are dating someone that you know is not on fire for Jesus. And whether they're a Christian or not, you know that you're settling. And when you tell them about how much you love Jesus and what he's doing in your life, your eye, their eyes just sort of glaze over. Are they on fire for Jesus? Well, yes, their grandfather was a vicar. Good for them. Are they on fire for Jesus? Well, yes, they come to church and they, they sometimes come to connect group. Good for them. Are they on fire for Jesus? If they're spiritually clueless, you do not need a flat white with me. You do not need a flat white with your connect group leader to work out what the right thing to do is. You know that you need to end it. But I've gotten comfortable. I really love them and they love me. And I'm the only Christian they know and I'm going to lead them to Jesus and we're going to spend our lives serving the Lord together. Yeah, and when that happens, you can write a bestseller because that never happens. What always happens is you end up losing your fire for Jesus or you end up just walking away from him altogether. And you'll live a nice life in a nice house with a nice dog and with nice kids and nice holidays, but you'll be numb. You'll be nice and numb, more and more numb to Jesus, more and more numb to the life that could have been, to a life on fire and on purpose for Jesus. As John Mayer sings, will I dim the light inside me just to satisfy someone? And so whether it's the, the, the people that we attach ourselves to, whether it's, it's sin in our lives, or whether it's our own self-righteousness, we become leprous, just desensitized to Jesus, desensitized to our need for him, desensitized to uh, people around us needing him as well. Isn't it shocking how we become numbed to knife crime in South London? Isn't it shocking how we become numbed to anti-Semitism? Isn't it shocking how we become numbed to human trafficking? Isn't it shocking how we become numbed to homeless people that we walk past on the street? And isn't it shocking how we become numbed to the people around us needing Jesus, needing a saviour just as much as you and I do? 
Couldn't care less. The catchphrase of Clapham is, is, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. It's not true. The people around us are spiritually bankrupt, and they're spending any credit they have in all the wrong places. So, if the problem here, if the problem that we're talking about here is, is independence from Jesus, what's the solution? And the solution is, is depending on Jesus. Look at, at verse 18. To a, to a city known for, uh, for wealth, for health, and for fashion, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me. Buy from me. And he says, buy from me refined gold. Perhaps your, your faith can't be trusted because it hasn't yet been tested. Buy from me white clothes. This is Jesus' righteousness to cover not just our sin but also our shame. Buy from me salve so that we can see, so that we're spiritually seeing again. Jesus says, come and buy from me. Come and buy from my shop. Buy, eat, and drink without money, without cost. I've paid for it all. I've paid for it all on the cross. And Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for us. Though he was clothed in, in all majesty, he was naked and ashamed on that cross. Although he was without sin, he took our sin on him as he died in the cross for us. If you think you don't have a good testimony, can I urge you to get saved? Because the ruler and king of the universe did that for you. Depend on him. Depend on Jesus. If you want intimacy with Jesus in your everyday life, can I urge you to not treat Jesus like a disposable cup of coffee that you have once or twice a week, but in all honesty, you could actually do without. Treat him instead as your, your oxygen tank. Jesus, without you, I'd die. Do we treat him like a cup of coffee or as our oxygen? So how do we respond? How do we respond? When verse 19, it says, um, Jesus says, not just to repent, which means turning away from our independence and turning to dependence in Jesus. He says to repent, but also he says there to be earnest. We as a church, we as believers, need to learn the vital importance of being earnest. You know, this crazy idea that it's possible for our zeal to increase with age. The great sin of our age is to care too much, to believe too much. The aim of being a church that middles but never meddles with the world. Now, this is, this is not about having a specific personality. At the uh, royal wedding last year, you will have um, seen the way that people nervously giggled when Bishop Michael Curry, he did 80 in a 20 zone. And uh, I was, I was uh, marrying a couple, and they asked me to preach like Bishop Michael Curry. I mean, look at me. I can't preach like Bishop Michael Curry. But what I can do is preach like a Holy Spirit-filled, on-fire version of Jamie Mulvaney. 
And you can be a sister, a brother, a parent, a colleague, a housemate, a friend who is on fire for Jesus and filled with his Holy Spirit. And instead of outsourcing all your evangelism to Alpha, like John Wesley, who was cold but was strangely warm, you can set yourself on fire and people will come to watch you burn. But only you can do this. Because there is Jesus. He's standing on the outside of the door of our hearts and he's waiting patiently and he's humbly and quietly waiting there. And yes, God shows up at your door and it's enough to fill you with awe and wonder and mystery as it did for so many when when Holman Hunt painted this picture. But God, he can do that. It's like an occupational advantage of being God. He's big and he's clever and he can do stuff. The real miracle happens when, when stubborn, arrogant, selfish human beings that he has rashly given free will to say, not my will, but your will be done, Jesus. When we turn the handle, which, yes, is only on the inside of the door. If you're wondering why Jesus is being so harsh in this letter, note the the start of, of verse 19. He says there, those whom I love. Jesus says, I, I rebuke and discipline those whom I love. And just like the, the rich young ruler, he looked at him and he loved him. And perhaps... Perhaps Jesus is rebuking and disciplining some of us here tonight, not because Jesus gets a kick out of being harsh, but because he loves each and every one of us and he wants what is best for us. And he needs to to shake us up where we've become all too comfortable. Those whom I love. This is not just a transaction. Although Revelation is is full of divine imagery, it's saturated with it. This is not actually divine love that he's speaking of here. The word for love is the the word you'd use for a friend. This was never meant to be about Christianity, but this was meant to be about a life spent with Jesus. One of my favorite scenes in in film history is uh, the dinner party scene in, in Notting Hill. Where, where Hugh Grant's character has brought uh, Julia Roberts's character as his date to his sister's birthday meal. And they're sort of fighting over who uh, gets to eat the last brownie by proving who is the saddest act here. And they're reeling off what's wrong with their lives. And, and then Julia Roberts's Anna, she, she pipes up. The most famous actress in the world, she, she unmasks her apparently perfect life. And she talks about the things that she struggles with and her insecurities and the way that she's been treated. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is, is give up the act. Enough with the pretense. Enough with the show and tell me how you really are and tell me who you really are. He wants to come in and eat with you and you with him over a long and leisurely meal to let the wine and the conversation flow with this friend. 
who is a friend, but he's so much more than a friend. And so, yes, in in verse 18, we see that instead of, of the fading pleasures of this world, there's lasting treasure for us. Yes, in verse 21, we see that if we choose to stop pretending to be the kings of our own little worlds, we will share a throne with him. But most importantly, in verse 20, there's time with him. Our treasure, our reward is not just what Jesus can do for us, but who he is. If anyone hears my voice. The word anyone means everyone. Do you hear his voice tonight? How will you respond? Amen.